Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott is alongside, as always. Hello, Scott. Sean. Hi. We're, we're right. That's that's pretty much a good summary. Yeah, right yeah. There. Not uh, not the best curling there today, but no, it was long day. Pretty lackluster. Long day. I uh, could have gone out and done something, but I didn't. <laughs> so uh, I was a little. A little upset uh, that that's one of the draws for the World Cup wasn't on. I think it was the second or third one. So anyway, I, I could have gone out during that time and, you know, seen the beautiful city and breathed the fresh air. But I didn't. I did it all for the kids. I stayed here. There you go. <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, I was out today and you didn't miss much. Uh, here in the nation's capital, it was very, very cold. It was bright and sunny, but it was very cold. So, you know, you didn't really miss much in terms of the outside uh, today here in Ottawa. And, of course, if you had gone out, you probably wouldn't have missed all that much anyway on on what was a somewhat anticlimactic day here at both the World Cup and the Canada Cup. I would say a little more happened at the Canada Cup that was interesting than at the World Cup. So we will start at the World Cup just to run through it really quickly. Let's start with the women's side. And they played their last draw tonight in the night game. And none of the games meant anything. Yeah, Sean, uh, really, really, ah, really tough. You know, uh, Canada finishes with the same record as Korea at 4-2, and two, same number of points, but, of course, got swept by Korea and thus uh, loses their group, and that was decided before their game against the United States this evening. And uh, like you mentioned, Japan had wrapped up the group uh, earlier yeah, yesterday or, or earlier in the morning. So, yeah, pretty pretty boring ending. None of the games this evening mean anything, meant anything. Oh, boy. There you go. English. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah, pretty... Uh, overall, pretty boring because, like you say, all of the games this evening didn't mean anything. And even in the draw previous, uh, the United States were trying to wrap up their spot in, in Group A on the men's side uh, against Jason Gunlin, who, again, I don't you know, watching him makes me scratch my head. But uh, but thanks to Scotland putting a beat down on China. Uh, they didn't even really have to worry too much about their game. I mean, Scotland was up eight to one after four. So, with that uh, knowledge, the U.S. could basically cruise there. And like we talked about last uh, last night, Sweden had won this morning and wrapped up the group. So, uh, with with a Norwegian loss, I think. So, there was, uh, yeah, I mean, not a lot of drama. Not a lot of drama at the World Cup. No, no, nothing happened. We went through all the permutations last night about how on the men's side it could have been interesting with three teams at nine points going to the last draw and the exact opposite. Yeah, exactly the opposite. And uh, yeah, so so nothing really doing there on the men's side nor on the women's side. On the mixed doubles side of things, Switzerland had already wrapped everything up there. There was a little more intrigue in Group B where... It comes down to Norway and the United States, both with four and two records. But because the United States 
beat China in one of their games on a draw to the button. Norway gets through with 12 points to the Americans, 11 points. So the the strategy there, and we have saw this a few times through the week where teams were getting very aggressive and not wanting to go to that draw to the button, needing those three points. And we see an example of why as the Americans fall short despite that same record. So we will have a Swiss-Norway final on the mixed double yeah, side. Yeah, Sean, that was a... A really interesting, uh, you know, ending to that there. I, Norway had a pretty easy shot, a draw with backing, to win their game. But I remember we talked about yesterday the U.S. played that game against China, and Tabitha Peterson was a little uh, upset. I w- not upset, but she was a little questioning of of the strategy call to play a draw that uh, Joe Polo played, and then. Uh, left China with a double, ended up such that uh, they let China back in the game. And you you think back to that shot there, and that might have been the shot that cost them that spot in the final. So a uh, tough way for the U.S. to go out there. Norway-Switzerland, my predicted final in the mixed double side. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. There you um, go. Another round yeah, yeah, no. Uh, let's Let's look forward now. We've looked back enough, right? Yes. So let's look forward to the finals. Uh, on the women's side, we've got uh, an all-Pacific Asia final. We've got Team Korea against Team Japan. I think this is a rematch of the PACC finals that happened a couple months ago. So uh, who you got? Well, on this, I'm going to go with Japan. Uh, Satsuki Fujisawa, they're just been a force. If you look at the numbers for the week, they're plus 17 in scoring, which isn't that surprising given that they're 5-1. and one. They're 53% on the last rock efficiency. Wow. They've scored six deuces, six threes, uh, and only six singles. They've only been forced those six times. And in terms of their force efficiency, they're at 73%, forcing teams 13 times and only giving up three deuces, nothing more. They haven't given up more than a deuce, which is remarkable in six games in a five-rock rule, mm. versus Korea, in their games, their force efficiency is down at 30%. They've given up six deuces, a triple, and a quad. And their last stone efficiency is all the way down at 19%. So, you know, you look at those numbers, they're, they're plus five for the week overall at scoring. But certainly the Japanese have been more dominant. And if you look at those numbers, definitely leans towards the Japanese side. That being said, of course, you have to look at who they're playing against. The the Chinese team had a very tough week going 0-6. Maybe Group A was a little more balanced, and that would account for that scoring discrepancy, but Japan did have to go through Eve Muirhead and Hasselberg to get to 5-1, and one, and they have just been an absolute buzzsaw through the field so far. Hard to pick against them going into the final. Yeah, Sean, and a, and a bit of a grudge match here i believe this was the final of the the pacc so as I, as I said and korea was the team that came out on top in that event with the uh the japanese men winning on the on the men's side so uh yeah maybe fujisawa's got a little axe to grind here uh, wants to stick it to them a bit so hard to argue against her in this final what about the men's side sean we've got the united states versus Sweden Olympic gold rematch. The stands will be packed. The crowd will be going wild for John Schuster's team. What do you think? I don't know if the 
stands will be packed. They've had 40 people there. Listen, drop, listen. Uh, as was pointed out uh, today, like the, the packed seems like a pretty big, uh, pretty big statement, given that you know that hasn't been the case. Well, you know, I mean, uh, packed being a relative term, of course. But uh, this, sure. this is uh, this is the matchup we all wanted to see. I think uh, you know uh, Schuster against Dean in a big game rematch of that Olympic gold. Something to prove, maybe for John Schuster to prove it's not a fluke. They've played really well all week, and uh, but but on the other hand, so is Nicholas Adin, and he's one of the best in the world. So, uh, gun to your head, who you got in this one? Sweden, definitely Sweden. Again, looking at the numbers in terms of the scoring for the week, they're pretty comparable actually in terms of the efficiencies here. Uh, with Sweden, they're at forty percent last rock efficiency, sixty-two percent on their force efficiency. So that's been helpful there, plus 20. Over the week, John Schuster, on the other hand, is down at 24% on the last stone efficiency, but up at 77% on his force efficiency. So those might actually balance each other out on those numbers, where the difference for me is in terms of the steals. Yes. Nicholas Adin has only given up one stolen end. The Americans have given up seven stolen ends. So just being either a little more aggressive, excuse me, just on the wrong side of the inch here or there, but you cannot afford to give up stolen ends to Nicholas Adin and this team. And given how tight they've been when they've had the last stone, even if they're not scoring multiples at the rate that you would expect them to score multiples, they're not giving up steals. And if they can come through and steal an end or two against John Schuster, it's going to be extraordinarily difficult for the Americans to win this game. So for that reason, I definitely have to give the edge here to Nicholas Adin. Yeah, Sean, uh, hard to argue with anything you've said there. Absolutely, Nicholas Adin, one of the top teams in the world. And uh, I don't think anybody would be surprised for him to have maybe, you know, maybe a little fire in his belly to try and avenge that gold medal loss. Not that he really has anything to prove, but. No, he has nothing to prove. But, you know, it, it might be. Uh, he might He might say, you know what? We're on U.S. soil. I'm going to take it to these Americans, win the game, prove to them who's the best curling nation in the world. And it's not them. So, uh, so some might say it's Sweden at the top anyway. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think you're spot on there. Now, moving over to the mixed doubles, Norway, Switzerland. This is the final that everybody who knew anything about anything was predicting. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. There you go. So uh, to me, it's a bit of a coin flip, this final. Both teams are really good. Both teams have proven themselves at the high level in the mixed doubles. Is there anything that you see in the statistics that give one team an edge over the other? Uh, the one thing that stands out to me looking at the statistics for the week is that the Norwegians have been much more effective using the power play than have the Swiss team. Uh, okay. The Norwegians have used it five times, averaging two points per use, whereas the Swiss using it four times, and they are only scoring point seven points per game. So if you play that out in this game and, and those hold true, that gives the Norwegians a point advantage right off the bat. That can be a big mm -hmm. deal in a relatively close game, which is what I would expect to see here. So in terms of the numbers, that more effective use of the power play might give the edge to the Norwegians. But this Swiss team is really good, and they've won a world championship. They've been they, they had a great run at the Olympics. It's hard 
to say that they would go into any mixed doubles game. I don't care who it's against. It, it could be John Morris, Caitlin Laws out there, and, and it's hard to say that the Swiss, this Swiss duo would be underdogs to anybody in the world in mixed doubles. So despite that, that sort of lackluster use of the power play, relatively speaking, they're, they're you know tied for second last there with the Russians in, in its use this week. It's it's really a tough call for me to say that the Norwegians have an advantage. Yeah, Sean, the reason their power play efficiency might be so low is because they haven't had to use it much. They, they, they stole 16 ends this week, 16 ends stolen. Uh, that's easily tops in the field, 6-5 clear of, of Korea. I mean, they were just uh, dominating the field, plus 17 on the week, as you mentioned, so... Yeah, I, I'm going to stick with Switzerland. They were my pick going in, so I'm going to stick with them as the favorites over Norway. Uh, you got any other any other storylines coming out of Omaha? The only thing, other thing that came out today was that no one's there. Uh, this was pointed out a few times online, and you know, rocks across the pond. Those guys mentioned yeah. it on Twitter. They're going to talk about it, but nobody's there, and it, it'll be fun to see tomorrow. That should be a marquee matchup of Nicholas Adine, John Schuster, an American team that had a lot of press mm-hmm. and the arguably the best team in the world on the other side. If they can't get a crowd for that, I think some serious questions will be asked about the success of the World Cup in attracting casual fans. To be, to be fair, Omaha is a bit off the beaten path for curling. They did have nationals there last year, which apparently drew pretty well but do you think there might be a difference if say next year the they want to keep an event in the u.s and they go to minneapolis st paul say maybe that that's the other logical place to put it unless you put it somewhere in upstate new york yeah you know in the syracuse area somewhere around there could be another option there's a lot of players there or another option i have to say would be boston mm-hmm. having have having lived there for a year there is a pretty good curling community there uh, the problem would be arenas i don't know the the area well enough to to know if there's a small enough arena there's no way you put that in the garden certainly but if there's an arena that you could hold it i, I don't know but those are the places that i would be looking mm-hmm. to put it outside of the the minneapolis area but if you're gonna go at this time of year it makes the most sense to put it in the united states i would think unless you would think you could switch the swedish event and the american event and have the american event later in the season well hey sean i mean if they put one in syracuse i'd go i think i'm gonna get uh get some winter tires for my car so uh Breaking you, news! You single, you single-handedly would double. Breaking the news with uh, new tires coming on uh, Scotty's car here. Uh, I'll be able to get get places <laughs> and use it. So uh, there you go. Uh, I agree with you, though. Uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow with that marquee game Sunday night. Uh, well, Sunday late afternoon might be a bit of a stretch, especially given it's NFL season. So we'll see who shows up. Yeah, and I just want to correct you real quick on one thing, Scott. You said that last year the Nationals were in Omaha. It was, in fact, the Olympic curling trials right, right. that were in Omaha last year. And as you say, yeah, it was a, a successful event there in terms of attendance, but not quite able to draw here 
with the World Cup, and uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. But thus far, it has to be considered a disappointment. So with that, let's move on to the Canada Cup. Another full day there. The women's side this morning, everything happened the way we thought it would last night, and we have a playoff of Jennifer Jones against Rachel Homan in the semi. Carrie Anderson gets the bye straight to the final. And, Scott, we had a, let's go with, uninspiring semifinal that just ended out there in Estevan with Jennifer Jones winning 8 Yeah, to just bad, Sean. It, at least Weagles Rocks picked twice, I think, in the first three ends. Uh, they just sort of took off. She missed an open hit. She was trying to play a draw and like overcurled one of them. They didn't seem to have any idea what the rocks were doing. Less idea about the ice and where to put it. Rachel was getting fooled in spots where sometimes it was straight. And if you were a little softer on the release, it would go nuts. Jennifer Jones, on the other hand, not fooled by any of those spots was able to capitalize, get a three spot in the fourth end. And from there on, uh, basically controlled the rest of the game with home and chasing the whole time. It, it was a pretty sloppy game overall. Do you have percentages there in front of you, Sean, or no? Yeah, so overall, the Jones team throws 88%. Sort of curiously enough, each of them individually throws 88% mm. on the game. So pretty pretty clear across, across the board there. That, But should point out that Jocelyn Peterman, I'm surprised that she's down at 88%, frankly, having watched that game. That seems low for what she was doing out yeah. there. On the other side, the Homan team at 78%, but Rachel Homan is the low player here, all the way down at 68%, and she was just off. And, and we, we talked about this last night, Scott, where all week it just felt like they didn't have command of the ice. And we saw it tonight, as you said, that they didn't quite know where to put the broom. They lost some draws. I believe it was the sixth end where Rachel has to be pretty much full four to score a second point, and they overswept it and missed it by two inches, Mm -hmm. if that. Mm -hmm. And it's that sort of stuff. It it did feel tonight a little reminiscent of what we saw last year during the Olympics in, in that they were just unsure of what was going on, not a lot of confidence in putting the broom down. And against Jennifer Jones, you're not going to win games if you, if you don't have the ice. Massive. No, for sure. And and uh, Joe and Courtney at 83% seems really high. Her being the high player on the team seems wrong, having watched the game. So, uh, yeah, it was just a mess uh, overall for the home and team. I'm sure they're glad to be done with the week. They struggled with the ice. But, you know, given all those struggles and and still making it to the semifinal. I think it's pretty impressive. We talked last night about how you thought they were playing worse than they actually were based on the stats. So, you know, uh, third place, nothing to sneeze at and go back to the drawing board for the next event. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Third place. It's weird to say that third place is a disappointment for anybody, but I mean, they're not the third best team in this field. No, you're right. You're right. So, you know, it is a little uh, disappointing to see them in third place. But, you know, yeah, I was just, it, it happens. People have bad weeks, and uh, so nothing wrong there. Let's move over now on the men's side. Unless you want to, to say anything about the final tomorrow and, and what you have expectations for in the Anderson-Jones final. Well, Sean, show. we teed it up a bit last night that uh, Carrie Anderson seems to have Jennifer Jones' number. Five wins in a row? 
Is, the, is yes. there any reason to suspect anything different? Like, Jones didn't look super sharp tonight. You know, their their team didn't look un- invincible. So, you know, and until they show me otherwise, I'm going to have to go with Anderson. Okay, I, I disagree because when we've seen Carrie Anderson in finals, yep. she hasn't been as sharp. And, uh, you know, we've seen, we saw it at the Scotties last year. She wasn't that great in that final. And, you know, until Carrie Anderson has a 90% game in a final, I'm going to lean towards the person who has won more Scotties than anybody else. And and she's won this event three times. So I'm going to go with the experience there of Jones and I'm going to wait and see and just wait. And I think it's a matter of when Carrie Anderson wins a big final like this as opposed to if she wins one but i'll just hold off until when that happens and and i'm sure it will happen maybe it happens tomorrow night i don't know but until that happens in my head i'm always going to give the advantage to jennifer jones fair enough sean fair enough so on onto the men's side we had a tiebreaker tiebreaker this morning with what you described to me as maybe the best shot of the day best shot of the spiel yeah the shot of the day i don't think it's shot of spiel shot of the day where we're in the 10th end, it's a 7-6 lead for Brandon Botcher over Kevin Cooey, and he has to make essentially an in-off double, if uh, that's how I would describe yep. that, for the win, and he makes it for two. It seemed like, a couple of people mentioned this on Twitter, it seemed like they were a little more emotional than, than you would expect for this type of an event uh, in a tiebreaker, uh, but they were pretty fired up winning that game. And I would say that that was the most interesting thing that happened. I will reiterate what I said last night that I have no idea why this wasn't the, the TV game, especially once everything was going to form mm-hmm. in the women's games. But that that is what it is. You know, full marks to Brandon Botcher and his squad. They throw 91% in this game. And there's not really much you can do when you throw that percentage, but you know, it comes down to a great shot and that's what we want in these games. And Kevin Cooey. Absolutely. Makes it. it was, it was one great shot. They were, they were playing for the win, which I kind of like, I like to see teams playing for the win rather than, you know, get your one, go to an extra and, and take your chances. I think they realized with the five rock rule, the advantages to the team with the hammer, which we've seen a bunch this year, teams taking the hammer to that last end. So going for two, Knowing if you miss it, well, you miss it, big deal. And so I think that's why they were so excited because they knew it was such a low percentage that uh, that they thought, okay, well, this will be this will be fun. Let's try. And then and when it they certainly w- was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Colton Flash curling 100 percent in that game this morning. He was definitely the star of the team. So you know they they get their win. They come out uh, face Gushu there uh, this afternoon, and boy, Sean. Brad Gushu had this game. Like Brad Gushu lost this game. I don't think Kevin Cooey won it. What's your? T- oh yeah, oh yeah. That, it's not even so, close. This was uh, the absolute train wreck for Team Gushu in the second half of the game. Not even the full second half. They stole in the sixth yeah. end. They're up five to one, and they play super defensively in the seventh end to give up two. Fine. That's fine. Okay. Then you're you're up five to three with the hammer playing the eighth end. You should win that game at this level. At the club level, no. Uh, people aren't good enough at the club level. But at this level, you should win that game maybe 100 times out of 100. And in the eighth end, he has 
for somebody of his ability an easy draw to score. Yeah. There are two Kevin Cooey stones behind the T line in the forefoot that he can come to and score. And for someone like Brad Gushu, you expect it to be automatic, and it usually is. And he throws too much weight. It misses both of them, goes behind, and you have a steal of two. And, you know, in retrospect, you could say that's when the game was mm-hmm. over. But even at that, you're tied with the hammer in the ninth end. You probably have a better than 50% chance of winning the game still. And a steal in nine, and then they could they really didn't have a chance to get anything going in ten, and it was just a, a complete collapse yeah. for this yeah, team. Yeah, it was uh, uh, on those last. It, four it, it was tough to watch, you know. Uh, Brett Gallant missed a couple shots there, and and Mark Nichols was just the other side of the inch on on some of his. So uh, there was a, a couple flashes. It, yeah, it just really seemed to fall apart. It was it was sort of hard to watch, you know, when you're thinking like. Ah, oh, you know how people talk about cringeworthy TV and they can't watch it? Like my buddy Tim, he he'll like put a blanket over his head if something awkward happens, you know? And and that's sort of what I felt like doing during this game, like, oh, something awkward is happening, but but you know, uh credit to Kui, I guess. They did what they had to do, put a lot of pressure on Gushu and and Gushu just wasn't up to the task today. It's no, and you even saw it sort of after the game when the Kui team was doing their high five. They were sort of chuckling to themselves. Not, they clearly didn't expect it. At one point, I believe it was in the the seventh or eighth end. Uh, I think it was actually the seventh. Benny made some sort of comment about, you know, just keep going. Yep. Like, let's let's get our deuce. And and I don't even know if he believed that they could win the game at that point because that team was. They were down. There was not a lot of conversation. I mean, B.J. Newfeld and Kevin Courier aren't the most uh, outwardly emotional guys at the best of time uh, or, or are really that conversational out there. But that team had no energy, and they picked it up a bit in the ninth end once they got that steal out of nowhere. But, yeah, this team, they, they didn't really have much of a pulse. And Brad Gushu gave them yeah one. yeah he he really did he really did Cooey's the low man on the on the sheet tonight 78 percent the first half of the game they were battling the clock again you know he was trying to make his throws i think there was one time he crossed the t-line with one second left uh so they were yeah. really up against it rushing out of sorts a bit and yeah when when gushu threw that draw in eight and it was heavy it just gave them life so uh, you know, congratulations to them. If they play the same way, I don't think they can beat Brad Jacobs tomorrow. But no, but uh, you know, this team is capable of winning big games. You know, they're they're good enough. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens. It'll be a good a good game tomorrow, I'm sure. Do you have any particular feeling on who might win it? I, you got, I, I based on seeing what I saw today, I feel as though you got to go with Brad Jacobs, and again, not really to to be overly critical of the Cooey team, but that game, as you said, was more Brad Gushu losing than them winning. That I mean, they made the shots they needed to make to win the game, but this Jacobs team all week has been so good as as a team. They're throwing eighty seven percent for the week, which is absolutely bonkers mm-hmm. that's for, for men's uh yeah that's pretty high <laughs> uh 
like it's 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 insane what they're doing in terms of the percentages their takeout percentage is 90 percent wow like the, it it's if they get a lead it's going to be extraordinarily hard to beat them and they've just been absolutely on fire the one thing that you would always say against brad jacobs especially over the past few years is in finals they've struggled and the emotion that they play with can actually be a negative in some of these big games but as we've seen this week mark kennedy is there and mark kennedy is one of these people who if he had a heart monitor on during the game i don't <laughs> think it would fluctuate at all uh you know even when he does an end-to-end sweep i don't think his heart rate changes at all so I, I think having that presence there will help keep brad and the hardens as calm as possible they've been absolutely on fire the one concern i have with these type of events is does the day off matter and does the ice change enough that they won't be able to pick it up and that the teams that played today have an advantage if you look last year at the olympic trials where we had the two examples of that, uh, I, I, if you look at it, it was 50-50. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Holman had that draw, th- or excuse me, Chelsea Carey was it right into the final. She loses. Kevin Cooey had the, the, the spot right in the final, and he wins. So, you know, not much of a sample size there, but that is always the concern with this. So maybe, but certainly I would have to give the edge to Brad Jacobs here. Yeah, Sean, I, the point you bring up about the ice is a good one because I believe that uh, what they were saying was with, you know, only one sheet on, the airflow in the building is a lot different. Uh, it's They're used to playing in four sheet venues with one, you know, the one feature sheet. Now it's going to be a, a five sheet venue. They do it at the, at the Grand Slams, but it's a little bit different uh, the way it's set up there today. So... Yeah, I, I, I'm going to pick Cooey. I feel like they've got some secret sauce, some sort of like magic in their brooms there. Uh, it is the season for Frosty the Snowman, and I'm going to call Kevin Cooey, Cooey the Snowman. Some magic in that old silk hat they found. What are you talking about? He doesn't have Oh, but, uh, you know, like Frosty the Snowman, there's magic. I think, like, there's something going on. Like, he made that crazy shot against Botcher to win the game uh-huh. like that seemed like some magic to me it seemed like he put a hex on brad gushu in the eighth end and caused him to throw it throw it heavy <laughs> i mean there's something going on with this team so uh i'm gonna ride it and uh look for them to win tomorrow all right well there you have it uh, it'll be another full day of curling on sunday the mixed doubles final from omaha kicks off at 9 30 eastern and they're going through the women's final is at 1 Eastern, men's final at, I believe it's 5 Eastern. You got it, yeah. And then on the Canada Cup side, women's final at 3 Eastern, and the men's final at 8 Eastern. So if you put all that together, you are looking at approximately 14 hours of 14 curling. 14 hours of curling start right now. <laughs> I'm going to be uh, double, whoops, sorry, double screening it over here. Yeah, so uh, as I'm sure a lot of people will be with a big day, I, you know, probably the biggest day we've had 
certainly this season and maybe since the Olympic Games. So a lot of fun stuff going on in the world of curling. Tomorrow we will be with you for our last episode of this week-long journey through the Canada Cup and the World Cup. Uh, Late tomorrow night, we'll get it up as soon as we can. We'll record after the men's final from out there in Estevan, and who knows, maybe Scott will get lucky, and it'll be a good game, but someone will score an eight-ender in the seventh or eighth end, and they'll shake, and we can do it earlier <laughs> than we have been, and uh, and get it up. And, uh, you know, not to look too much ahead, but we do have a Grand Slam event next weekend, so we'll be back on uh, Monday night, I think, to talk about that event, the I don't even know which one it is, but out in Conception Bay in Newfoundland. So no rest for the weary here. So everybody, we thank you for joining us tonight, and we look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. You can follow all day tomorrow on Twitter. You can find us at Game of Stones Pod. Same on Instagram at Game of Stones Pod. You can give us an email at Game of Stones Podcast at gmail dot com. And if you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever it is you get your shows to be part of the fun and frivolity of daily coverage of these type of events. So everybody, enjoy your Saturday night, Sunday morning, or whenever it is you're listening to us. We'll be back with you tomorrow night. But until then, keep your brooms on the ice and don't dub that intern. Make the final...